Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. Welcome to the conclusion of our teaching series in second Peter prepare. God used these truths to encourage and prepare the first century church for the uncertain days that were ahead of them. God's timeless truths have done this for you and for me. These words prepare us for all the days that are ahead of us. And I pray that you've really been encouraged in this teaching series. In fact, many of you have responded that these truths have become so relevant, especially in consideration of the present condition of our own culture today. So I'm grateful that God's word does what it always does. It it meets us right where we live. And I believe you're going to experience this in these final verses of Second Peter. The beloved Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, in one of his earlier writings, wrote a parable-like story. I'd like to share that story with you to help us better engage with the truths that, that we're about to read. Uh, Kierkegaard wrote this parable. In a crowded theater, uh, there was a, a variety show wherein act after act brought incredible and loud applause from the audience. In the midst of this entertaining evening, a gentleman stepped out on the stage dressed in a clown outfit, and he made the following announcement. I apologize for the interruption, but the building is on fire. You'll need to leave right now in an orderly fashion, uh, or you could suffer injury or even death. Kierkegaard writes, the audience exploded in laughter and applause because they thought that the clown was a part of an act. They even thought that the actor was committed to his role because he said again with a louder voice, may I have your attention? The building is on fire. You'll need to leave. But again, his words were greeted by applause and laughter because the audience was not convinced of any danger. They were only enjoying the entertainment. As Kierkegaard concludes the parable, he writes, finally, the messenger gave up and left the stage, and the entire building and all that were in it were destroyed. In typical Kierkegaard fashion, he proves this moral principle. Their minds were so saturated with entertainment that they could not hear the warning. When I look at the beginning of Second Peter chapter 3 and realize Peter's stated intent was to stir the minds of his readers so that they could remember. There is an incredible reality of, of how their minds, the first century church and ours, can become saturated with, with entertaining uh, messages and, and even uh, messages that are distracting so to the point that we can't hear what we really need to hear. A part of the preparation that God led Peter to write to the first century church and to us represented a warning in chapter 2, which followed the messages of encouragement in chapter 1. But here in chapter 3, there is within some very, um, very strong and destructive scenarios a message of hope. 
And, and we do not need to allow our minds to become so distracted by the noise that is around us or even the, the spirit of entertainment that tends to allure our minds away from the truth that we, we miss what we need to hear. No, we need to truly engage with, with the closing truths of this epistle because they are so incredibly necessary for how you and I prepare for the days ahead. So, so don't miss the message because your mind is seeking an entertaining experience. Hear what God has to say because His words are, are real and true and His words are necessary so that you and I can be prepared for all the days uh, that lie ahead of us. As this epistle concluded, uh, in my own study, I've discovered some very urgent facts, announcements that that the author made to the first century church that really need to be embraced by our lives uh, at this very moment. I'd like to share with you three irrefutable facts for our days ahead. Although they are uncertain, we can truly become prepared as we attend carefully to these facts that God's Word gives us. So let me share these three irrefutable facts with you. The first fact is this, an inevitable conclusion. That leads to the second fact, a firm hope, which takes us to the third and concluding fact, a personal responsibility. Now, each of these facts will help you and I to truly prepare for, for what it lies ahead of us at this very moment. Let's begin with the first fact, an inevitable conclusion. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10, Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and all of its works will be burned up. Not very encouraging, so says the reader at first glance, but lean in because this inevitable conclusion teaches us something invaluable about the posture of our of our lives spiritually at, at this very moment. Peter brought this phrase, the day of the Lord, which was used interchangeably by the New Testament writers uh, to reference the second coming of Jesus, which Jesus himself promised would take place. The day of the Lord was an ancient Jewish expression that referenced the transition between the present age and the age to come. The, the, the day of the Lord contrasted the present age of man's fallenness and darkness that led way to, to God making all things new. God's intervention between the present day and the age to come was indeed uh, named by the Old Testament Hebrew prophets as the day of the Lord. And so Peter here borrows that phrase from the history of the scriptures and from his own setting to remind the church that, hey, there is an inevitable conclusion. All things that you see that have been created, all the material existence that is around you will come to an end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, after the gospel has been preached to all the nations, the end will come. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 9, verse 27, reminded us that it's appointed unto man to die, and then after that, the judgment. So we know that all things, at least in the material sphere, is coming to an end. This is Peter's uh, 
presentation. This is his reminder to the first century church and, and to us. Look carefully first at how the day of the Lord is described and then how we are to respond to the day of the Lord. First, the description of the day of the Lord is found in verse 10. All things will be burned up. Do you see a description of all the material things that exist in descending order? In, in verse 10, the heavens are described. Now, this references not God's home, our eternal home with the Lord, but the heavens here is the term that references literally the, the earth's atmosphere, the, the toposphere, stratosphere. Go, go back to your, uh, your, your days of science, the, the, uh, mesosphere, the thermosphere, the exosphere. All of this references the, the, the physical and created heavens that are around the earth in descending order. Then the elements are mentioned, which references all of the the working of life and creation that God has instilled for the earth uh, through the a- atmospheric presence around the earth. And then the, the term earth represents the globe itself. Even as Peter described, the earth and all the works that belong to the earth will be burned up. The emphasis is this, not necessarily a science lesson, but the emphasis is that very descriptively, Peter writes all things that you know that have existed, that have been created, they will they will end. They will be burned up. A lot of people tend to make much out of the phrase burned up and try to designate how God will use fire to bring all things to to his judicial end. But the import here is is the emphasis of how all things will come to an end and to a close. In fact, this description of the day of the Lord was uttered by the prophets. And without reading too many references, I, I simply look back to Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. And he described the day of the Lord as a day of fury and anger, a day of desolation where God will, will remove sinners from, from creation. And so you have this seemingly horrific picture of all things coming to a close. And Peter references this concerning God's judgment against all that is wrong and evil uh, in the world. But, but dear follower of Christ, d- dear friend, hold tight to the truth that God's judgment is always perfect. Reading straight from the scripture, we are told in Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, that righteousness and judgment are, are the foundation of God's throne. Jesus himself said that his judgment is just and true. And of course, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, that God always judges impartially. So God's judgment is true and pure and righteous. And so the description of the day of the Lord is a seemingly horrific description, but describes again, God's righteous judgment that brings all things to a conclusion. Now with that description of the day of the Lord, look at how we're told to respond to the day of the Lord in verse 11 and 12. Since all things are to end or to come to this destruction, what sort of people are we to be in holiness and in godliness. Well, these terms, uh, holiness and godliness, uh, you might find this interesting, are in plural form, meaning that whatever we do as followers of Jesus, our emphasis in response to the day of the Lord is to live in a way that truly honors him. Verse 12, looking and hastening the coming of the day of our Lord. We can't hasten the day of the Lord as if to speed up the chronology or the calendar. But we, in our anticipation of Jesus returning, can be in a spirit of hastening his return as we honor him and desire to see him face to face when he returns. Jesus taught a parable recorded in Matthew chapter 25 that we know is the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And in this parable, he references 
the first century Jewish wedding and the the customary uh, celebratory practice of the bridegroom passing by. And Jesus' parable describes how there were those uh, ten bridesmaids or virgins who were waiting with their lamps for the bridegroom to pass, but many were not prepared. And as they went to to find more oil for the lamp, they missed the bridegroom. And then Jesus encouraged through that parable that we would be prepared for him, the bridegroom, to return. And the, the two powerful teaching points, not only of that parable, but of any reference in the New Testament concerning the day of the Lord or the return of Christ, the two extremely important and significant teaching points are this. First, prepare now for the day of the Lord. Jesus is calling each of us to prepare now by placing our faith in him and what he did on the cross, because we do not know when that day will come when all things are fine and when Jesus returns, when the day of the Lord will actually appear. We don't know that timing. And so we are to prepare our hearts spiritually now. And so the question rings out from Scripture, are you ready? Are all things right between you and God? And the only way to answer that is through how we respond in our faith to Jesus. So, oh, I pray that things are right with you and God. Because this is the ultimate teaching point of our focus on the day of the Lord. But another, a second teaching point is that the day of the Lord not only calls us to prepare, but calls us to keep our eyes on Jesus at this very moment. So we are we are given the description of the day of the Lord, but we're also told how to respond. And we respond by by preparing now and responding to Jesus through faith and then keeping our eyes on him. And so Peter's emphasis is not let's try to discern the day of the Lord. His emphasis is not when would Jesus come? His emphasis is who will return and Jesus will return. And right now, our hearts need to be in tune to him so that we are prepared for when he does come again. You know, all throughout history, mankind has attempted to discern when the final day will come, when the end comes, when the day of, of the Lord will come. In fact, you can begin in history and move back from the 18th century. It was it was believed that that the year 2000 would be the end of the earth. You can even move back further uh, and 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 uh, in the 16th century, uh, uh, Notre Dame, the 16th century seer, uh, he he predicted that the world would end in 1999. And in fact, a man by the name of Herbert Armstrong predicted that all things would end specifically on January 7th, 1972. We can move further back in history. Uh, there is a man by the name of Johann Stoffler, a German astrologer who depicted, who, who predicted that the world would be destroyed by a flood on February 20th, 1524. On and on again, we can read through history how Individual after individual predicted that all things would come to an end. The emphasis of Scripture, the emphasis of the, the verses in front of us is not to try to discern when all things will come to an end, but to know that the reality is there. The inevitable conclusion of all that is material is there. And we must in our hearts be prepared for when Christ returns. The first irrefutable fact as we prepare for the days ahead, it's simply this, the inevitable conclusion of all things. But when you and I peer inside of that inevitable conclusion, we do not find simply a description of despair. If we look deeply inside the conclusion of all things, 
we actually find hope. Now let's continue in verse 13. Verse 13 reads, But according to His promises, we are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So although heaven and the elements and earth will be melted away and destroyed, God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. All that was created, the the celestial heavens and the earth itself, God will make all things new. I find it fascinating that the term new in verse 13 does not reference the Greek term that means brand new or original. But the term used here is actually a term that means new of the same kind. So there will not be some endless clouds of reality where we are floating aimlessly for all of eternity. That is how man has depicted a new heaven and a new earth. Scripture teaches us that that there will be an actual new created order, brand new, the absence of sickness and disease and viruses, the absence of all that was was the 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 product of, of the fallenness of sin will be taken away and there will be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. God will create spherically this incredible place where his own will dwell. And what an incredible promise we have a new heaven and a new earth. This represents our firm hope. The second irrefutable fact is a firm hope we have that although there is an inevitable end, God is making all things new. It was said of Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And here we see the expression of all things new and that the promise of a new heaven and a new earth is established first in our hearts. We know this is true and then will become a reality on that day that God so brings in a new heaven and a new earth. Can I quickly share with you four realities that lead up to the new heaven and the new earth? Listen to this. I think you'll be encouraged by this. Well, the first reality is that heaven and earth will pass away. We, we know that. Mark's gospel uh, reiterates what uh, Peter has written here. So heaven and earth will pass away. Uh, Romans 8.22 reminds us that all creation groans for God's redemption. So the first reality that leads up to a new heaven and earth is that the present heaven and earth will, will pass away. The second reality is this. Uh, there will be a new heaven and earth created. We, we know this. Uh, one author has said this will be like the new Eden that, that comes to pass. God is making all things new. I love how the author Randy Alcorn writes a great description of this definition of, of new heaven and earth in his book titled Heaven. And this is what Randy Alcorn writes. When we are in that new heaven and earth, we will not live in some sterile environment floating on endless clouds with nothing to do. We will live in a brand new, completely new earth, free from storms, earthquakes, drought, floods, or any other disaster or sickness. This will be our complete and new existence with Christ and with our God forever. What an incredible reminder of the reality of new heaven and earth. So the first reality leading up to that is that the present heaven and earth will pass away. The second reality is that a new heaven and earth comes. A, a third reality is this. You will find this incredibly uh, encouraging. The curse of sin removed forever. The curse of sin removed. Revelation 22 verse 3 reminds us no longer will the curse exist 
And then the fourth reality is that the new heaven and earth will be where righteousness dwells. Peter mentioned this uh, right there in, in verse, uh, right before us. He, he mentions in verse 13, a new heaven, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Meaning that in this fallen world, Satan has, has, uh, has influence and has presence in the new heaven and earth, Satan has already been completely eradicated and destroyed. And the only influence is, is the complete presence of God. And what an incredible promise that the new heaven and new earth is the place where God's righteousness completely and perfectly dwells with no other influence to speak of. That's exciting. And that should encourage our hearts uh, in, in phenomenal ways. So, so yes, uh, we, we, we see the, the, the irrefutable fact of, of an inevitable closure, a conclusion to all things we know that are material, all will be destroyed. But secondly, we see in this irrefutable fact the, the, the firm hope, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. But I want to share with you the last fact that helps us to prepare for all the days ahead of us. Uh, the, the irrefutable fact number three is this. And this is encouraging, and yet it's also challenging. Uh, personal responsibility. There's uh, there's an inevitable conclusion. There's a firm hope, but third, there is a personal responsibility. Beginning in verse fourteen, our author uh, looks inside of of that hope that we have that God is going to make all things new, and in, instead of assuming that we will just stand idly by until God fulfills all things. The author led by God's hand reminds us that we are to be busy in the responsibility he's laid before us. Just listen to some of the examples of the responsibility we have to be vigilant and to be committed and, and to be centered on Jesus Christ until he returns. Verse 14, therefore beloved, there's that word again, therefore beloved of God, those who truly belong to God, since you look for these things, meaning the end of all things and the new heaven and new earth, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. To be found in peace indicates through the words spotless and blameless that we are living according to God's will and purpose in our lives, living in peace with God and in peace with others. And so one example of the responsibility we have as we wait for Christ to return is to live in the reality of the peace that Jesus has purchased for us through the cross, our peace with God. And then we must pursue peace with others as well. So our responsibility is not to live in fear, not to live with anxieties of what might be called the unknown, but to live peacefully because we know Christ will return. And as our faith is in him, our heavenly father has all things uh, in his care and we can trust him for this. And so, yes, the first responsibility is live in that peace, live out that peace, embrace the reality of the peace that Jesus has brought to your life. Well, there's a second example of this responsibility. Verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as, and then I love how Peter named Paul, just as our beloved brother Paul wrote, regard the patience of our Lord. And Peter used that term earlier to indicate that that God's desires that all would come to repentance. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. The word regard there really uh, has encouraged me because the, the idea is not to simply have an acknowledgement, uh, but the idea is to is to lead your life toward a certain focus. So the emphasis is not remember that that our Lord has offered salvation, but the emphasis is 
lead your life by the fact that you have been redeemed, that the gospel has indicated who you are in Christ. The gospel is your identity. So not only should we live in peace, we should live every day according to the gospel and the truths of the gospel, that which Christ has accomplished in us and who we are as God's children. So live in peace, live according to the truth of the gospel. But there's a third example of our responsibility. I move to verse 17. Therefore, be on your guard. You, beloved, there's the third use of that word, beloved. You, beloved, you who truly belong to the Lord, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men so that you remain steadfast. And so a third example of our responsibility is to be on guard, to be watchful, that we're not led away by, again, by the, the, the false teachings of man. Verse 16 describes how sometimes Peter deemed Paul's writings as confusing. And some of us who deeply studied his his uh, epistles may, may, may agree. But Peter brought that up to simply say, do not let men who, who pretend to know more than you to come in and confuse you, but keep focused on the truth, on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guard your heart against those false beliefs. And then the final example of our responsibility as we wait for Jesus to return is in verse 18. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in grace represents the relationship that we have with God through what Jesus did on the cross. And then growing in the knowledge represents our discipleship. Grace, the relationship, knowledge, the discipleship, grace that we have been made right with God, knowledge, not not intellect, but knowledge, understanding who we are in Christ and growing in our faith to, to depend completely upon Christ and to truly live for him. So the fourth example of our responsibility while we wait for Christ to return is to grow spiritually in our relationship and in our discipleship. You know, my, my prayer for you is a prayer that I pray for my own life. And that is we would be so saturated in our lives with Jesus Christ, that he is not simply a name or, or an expression of religion. He is our life itself. And my prayer is that we would be so focused on Jesus that we don't live compartmentally where we turn our Christian faith on and off when convenient, but that we truly live completely saturated in the love and in the understanding of Jesus so that our lives are truly focused on him. Because I believe that the more we live for him, the more that line between this earth and the life to come will seem uh, less and less visible and, and the movement will seem more seamless as we live for Christ now so that that day that this life ends before Christ comes, if our days are numbered before he comes, we know that absent here is to be with him forever. Or if if we are alive when Jesus does return, again, absence in this world is to be present with him. And so I pray that right now you are anticipating uh, the return of Christ by living with your heart completely focused on him. I have to tell you this, this precious story. Uh, we began with a story from a a uh, renowned philosopher, but I'd like to end with a story from perhaps a, a, a nine-year-old. Uh, there was an author by the name of, of Wendy Murray who described an experience she and her husband had with their middle son, Ben. When our middle son, Ben, was younger, he had more than one sermon about the importance of surrendering his life to Jesus. 
Ben always seemed well attuned to the heart of God. So it really bothered my husband and me when Ben stubbornly refused our invitation for him to give his life to Jesus. He would offer no explanation. He would just stubbornly refuse. He would, he would simply tell us in his childlike way, I am not ready. Well, he resisted for quite some time. Then one morning, sitting at the kitchen table, he leaned over his bowl of Cheerios, looked at my husband and me, and said, I am ready to give my life to Jesus. With that being said, he jumped up from the table and he ran upstairs. My husband and I looked at each other, Wendy writes, and we followed him. We expected that we would find him on his knees or, or something spiritual of that manner. But instead, we found him folding his Star Wars pajamas and placing them in his Sesame Street suitcase. So we said, Ben, what are you doing? He answered, I'm packing. And they said, why are you packing? He said, well, I, I just gave my life to Jesus, so I'm packing to go to heaven. We then understood, she writes, why our child was so hesitant to give his life to Jesus. He thought that doing so would have him to go straight into the presence of Jesus himself. She concludes, we should all possess that faith that, that Benjamin practiced. We should all have our hearts so fixed on Jesus Christ that we are, we are packed and ready when he calls us. That we, we long and yearn to be in his presence and that we would see the Christian life and our hearts surrendered to Jesus synonymous with being in his presence. Oh, what an incredible reminder of where our faith needs to be placed today. I pray that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you've surrendered your life to him and that your faith is in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross because there's no other way to, to make things right with God than to allow him to make you right by putting your faith in Jesus. Yes, the, the end is inevitable. We, we can't just continue on like life is one big endless uh, experience of all that we can encounter. No, the, 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 the end is certain. And our hope is firm and that God is making all things new and, and we will be with him for eternity if our faith is in Christ. And our personal responsibilities are clear that we would stay so focused on Jesus that we would not lose sight of what matters most, living in the presence of our Lord through Jesus Christ. And so I pray today that you are prepared for all the days that are ahead of you by truly staying centered on the truth of God made known and fulfilled in our King of Kings, Jesus Christ, God's Son, who died for, for, for our sins to be taken away and rose again to defeat death, hell, and the grave. Yes, God is a patient, desiring that many come to repentance. But one day, this inevitable conclusion will take place. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you truly have that firm hope that Jesus is making all things new? And are you living to honor him? If not, would you trust Jesus today? Scripture tells us if we confess him as Lord, um, we'll be safe from our sin. And I pray that you, that you can reach out and make, make that 
Make that prayer your prayer today. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and I I turn to you. I I am ready to follow you. Oh, I, I pray that if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you would make this prayer your prayer. At this very moment, there is a website location on the screen. This indicates a place you can go right now where we can reach out to you and respond so that we can encourage you in your, uh, in your relationship with Jesus. If you have some time before placed your faith in Christ and you know that you follow him, but you've struggled with the noise that's around us. Now, as we close in prayer, I want to pray over your life that you'll be free from fear, that you'll be free from anxiety, and that you will truly walk in the promise and in the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That you'll truly walk uh, conditioned and prepared not only by these three facts we've engaged with today, but by, by all the truth that God gives us. Uh, I pray that you, you are walking prepared and that your focus is on Jesus Christ and you're, you're trusting God's truth in Jesus and you're not trusting some form of truth that is in man. Oh, I pray that we will go forward prepared like we've never been prepared before. These are uncertain days. These are uncertain times. But we need not walk in fear. We need not live with anxiousness. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's real. He's with you right now. You can trust him. So I pray that your faith is in him. And I am so grateful that he's given us the promise that he has made all things new. Let's walk in the newness of life that can only come from placing our faith in Jesus. Thank you for being a part of this worship service today here online. Uh, thank you for being a part of this teaching series. I'm, I'm really excited about the next teaching series, Walk in Love. It's going to be an exciting series that encourages us how to truly live in the overflow of, of God's love for us. So I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, and, and we look forward to how God is going to continue to shape and form our lives after his will. Again, thank you for being here. Let me pray over you. Father God, as we dismiss from this service, Father, guide our steps. Wherever we may be in our lives, Lord, may we respond as you've touched our hearts according to what you are instructing us to do. Father, may we follow you. And Lord, let us live in this hope. And may our centering on your truth prepare us so that we're not listening to the noise outside, but we're truly following you. Thank you, God for teaching us through your word. Thank you for these precious lives that have made this time together possible. Lord, continue to encourage them, bless their homes. Lord, I, I pray you would deliver them from fear, those who are struggling with fear and with, with unknowns. Lord, I pray that you would give us victory over anxieties. I pray, Father, that you would give us peace as we walk uh, toward you and keep our eyes on you. Thank you, Father, for the promise that you are coming again. You're sending Jesus to come again, and we're so excited to celebrate that uh, even though this, this old world will draw to a close, you are creating all things new. And we, as we wait upon that day, we trust you and we live for you. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Love you a lot. See you soon. Remember, we're beginning a series, Walk in Love. I look forward to sharing that with you.